Welcome to the Unconventional Path, Entrepreneurship and Innovation Stories and Ideas. Hello, I'm Bala Musitz, coming to you from upstate New York. I'm a former three-time entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and business school professor. And from about 3,528 miles away from you, Bela, in Queensbury, New York, uh, I am in Münster, Germany. I'm Mike Wasserman, Professor of International Management at the Münster University of Applied Sciences. So listeners, thanks for joining us today. Uh, when Bela and I were both at the faculty of Clarkson University, we had lots of inter- interesting conversations about how the world is changing and specifically about how innovation and entrepreneurship are changing. We'd talk about these things over coffee or lunch as time allowed. And a little over uh, almost two years ago now, I moved to Germany and then last year Bela retired. Uh, but uh, somewhere along the way, Bela had an uh, idea to continue our conversations in the form of a podcast and invite others like you to listen in. And I really honestly thought this was a horrible idea. Uh, I don't consider myself a podcast guy, uh, but Bela talked me into it. And as usual, he was right. And here we are, I don't know, 50 some odd episodes later, uh, having a great time. Join us each week as we talk with interesting people uh, we've met to share their stories, ideas, and insights into innovation entrepreneurship, and the people that take unconventional paths to find happiness in life and in work. Bela, tell us about the interview you lined up for this week. Hey, thanks, Mike. Uh, Before we dive in today's interview, I just wanted to remind our listeners that one of the key elements of this podcast is to interview business founders we can all identify with. We've had coffee roasters on the show, software developers, business consultants, cafe owners, restaurant owners. So we're not trying to really to discuss how to find the next Facebook or Google. Uh, What we want to do is bring you stories that hopefully will inspire you to realize, hey, I can do that, and then take the first step to start your business journey. This week's guest is Janet Tangway. She started several businesses and took an unsuccessful art class and turned it into a positive And this is a really interesting interview, Bela, but before we begin, let's take a second to remind our listeners that this podcast is brought to you in part by the law firm of Phillips Lytle LLP. And this is a sponsorship that makes a lot of sense to us. Bela, you know this firm well, don't you? I sure do. I have worked with the key entrepreneurship practice partners at Phillips Lytle for over 20 years. Their nationally recognized attorneys take an entrepreneurial approach to legal matters, and they have a long history of success with startup businesses. Phillips Lytle is my go-to team for guiding startup businesses down the path to success. We are excited to have Phillips Lytle as our show sponsor. You and I both know that they think like entrepreneurs, taking a pragmatic approach to getting things done and spotting issues before they become problems. So if you need good, solid advice starting, funding, or selling a business, whether you're a single-person startup or working on a nine-figure exit, Bela and I confidently recommend the attorneys at Phillips Lytle. Bela, what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with them? So for more information, contact Rich Honan, who is a Phillips Lytle partner. If you are an old school person like Mike and I, you can give Rich a call at 518-618-1225. Or if you are of the generation that prefers online communication, you can reach Rich directly from his firm's website at phillipslytle.com. That's P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-L-Y-T-L-E.com. And it'll be great for us if you let Rich know you heard about Phillips Lytle from listening to the Unconventional Path podcast. All right. With that said, let's jump right into today's interview with Janet. 
Hello, listeners. Today, I'm here with Janet Tangway. She is the founder of The Hammock Way of Life and Business Idea Shower. These are two really interesting uh, business opportunities that she has started, and um, I'm looking forward to having a great conversation with her about them. Welcome to the show, Janet. Hi, Bela. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. And I also noted you're also the author of two children's children's books. Yeah. Um, Dust Bunnies Don't Eat Carrots, which is a book about nicknames, and BB, which is a book about being who you want to be when you grow up. Oh, great. We can talk about those a little bit later. So, Janet, let me uh, ask you a question. If uh, if you're at a, a social event and someone comes up to you and says, Janet, nice to meet you. What do you do? How do you answer that question? Yeah, so the, I never start talking about myself first. I always, uh, I want to know about them. So mm-hmm. I'll immediately turn it around and say something like, what brought you here today? And different things bring people, different people there for the, right? Some people are there because they want to network. Other people are there because their boss made them do it. Right, Other people right. are there because they're a spouse of someone or so, whatever, whatever reason. So I want to know why they're there. And then I can sort of gauge how I'll formulate that, the conversation from there. Ah, so you try to build context around it. Yes. As opposed to hitting the play button and here's what I do. Right, right, right. I went to a sales training course one time and they said, uh, one of the impactful things they said was don't spill your beans in the lobby, right? I think a lot of salespeople, a lot of people at network events just go, this is what I am and this is what I do. And if it's not relevant to the person you're speaking with, they'll either walk away or their eyes will glass over. And, and so I want to have meaningful conversations with people. So I want to know what their interests are and then find common ground. Yeah, that's, that's I think, of the 60-plus uh, podcast we've done, that's one of the best pieces of advice we've had <laughs> to that question for sure. <laughs> that was, good, that was good, really good. good. So uh, talk to me a little bit about the hammock way of life and what that is. Sure. So um, these days, it's a, a coaching, speaking, and training collaborative sort of a, a training company. I started out training myself, doing vision boarding, helping people do goal setting and things like that. And, and that was sort of unique for corporations to be able to do that. Um, you know, it looks like kindergarten, it's poster board and glue sticks. And, but what, what happened is when I went in to train executive VPs, a lot of them had never done it before. Um, and it was impactful. I had somebody say, uh, after he created his board, that it was the only contemplative time he had taken other than the eight minutes that he puts his phone down to take his daughter to school. And so that was powerful. And so, and I find that in a lot of companies now that, you know, people that are taking the time to, to do this work um, is, is meaningful to them. And so they're rolling it out in other ways. I've done employee engagement, focus groups, um, mind mapping, all sorts of things once I get my foot in the door with that. And then what I can do is bring in other coaches who do things that I don't do. So disc assessment, culture talk, um, mindfulness training is really big right now. So I bring in yoga instructors and people that do gong immersion. So it's different. It's a different culture and people are looking for different things. And and what's your typical client like or customer like? Yeah. So um, it's uh, mid-level companies potentially with multiple locations um, that I can go into and work with teams. So I work with sales teams, with uh, lenders, you know, mortgage lenders, uh, banks and airlines. And um, so, so anybody with teams of people that have a common vision. So not only do we do individual vision boards, the team does a vision board about where, where they want to go for the next year. So, so uh, as I think about this, this is, this is not your 
uh, typical business that you sort of come across. No, not right? at all. So, right. so how did you t- talk about the background? How did you get the inspiration for doing this? Yeah. So I, for 13 years, I worked with specifically entrepreneurs, helping them launch businesses at a capital region chamber of commerce. And what I kept running into repeatedly was that it wasn't just about the business for them or about being an entrepreneur. It really was about work-life balance. They, it was people were coming to me and talking about their relationships and about their family <clears throat> and, and so I kept having to bring the focus back to business. And so that to me felt very stifling and it wasn't really authentic to, to them because when you're an entrepreneur, it's about everything that you're doing. And so I wanted a way to bring um, every, dreams to reality. So I call myself a dream synergist. So it really is helping their whole dream come true, whether it's travel, business, fitness. It's sort of a coach of all that, beginning with entrepreneurship or business, but expanding out from, from there. And my dream is to be in a hammock in five years. So that's why I called it the hammock way of life. Although I will say I do interviews from a hammock and I probably would have called it the Adirondack chair way of life because it's difficult to get in and out of a hammock in an interview. (laughs) So, (coughs) excuse me. So it really sounds like a, unlike other sort of incubators, accelerators that exist, which are purely focused on the business you're sort of taking a holistic approach yes. uh, to their new endeavor that they're starting mm-hmm. and, and helping folks sort of balance their, their life yes. and their dream yes. uh, and their business adventures yeah. and, and sort of helping them navigate that really complex mm-hmm. roadmap. Because if, if one goes out of whack... The whole thing goes out of whack. Exactly right. Exactly. And that's what we find is that there's a lot of, there's so much overlap in it, right? Like some companies have, you know, they live and work in the same building that they own or they don't and that's their dream or, um, or a partner's not on board, right? Or, or life gets in the way, like, you know, addiction or something like that. Like it's never fully in sync, but when something goes out of sync, how do you, how do you balance that other part of it to, to keep it in sync? So people come to me for that sort of advice. They might have a part-time job and lose it. Well, now they're a full-time entrepreneur or the, their job asked them to work full-time. How do they maintain the business? Do they need to hire someone? So it's sort of to navigate all those challenges that happen as they grow. So while you were at the chamber helping entrepreneurs, you had this observation mm-hmm. of, gee, it's, it's more than just about the business. Yes. It's about the whole person, the mm-hmm. whole experience. And then so what was the next step? How do, how do you go from that idea to actually having a business? Right. So I, I've always had a side hustle. Um, so I, I, for 10 years, owned an art business. And I, I somewhat modeled it after after the art business. The way the art business worked was that I'm an artist and I, uh, I represented artists and helped them get their work into galleries and private collections and corporations. And so I wanted uh, that model worked. So so I wanted something similar. So I started coaching myself one-on-one um people came to me for for coaching um and then i i saw the need for group training and then other coaches started noticing and my network's really deep i've I've been in the capital region for a long time and and my network is deep and i'm a connector so people were coming to me for free at the chamber as a connector and so this is was a way to sort of monetize my connections i have a business directory and people can put their names in the business directory only if i've worked with them I, i can vet them a little bit so i work with um content managers and uh, voiceover coaches, graphic designers, um, you know, anything that people need to start a business. Um, And people come on board because they see the value of my network because it's deep, you know, filled with entrepreneurs. So so that's sort of one of the ways I monetize it. Okay. Yeah. 
Can we go back to Janet when she was uh, eight or nine years old? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So is there like a history of entrepreneurship in your family or have you been always entrepreneurial? 100%. So my dad was an entrepreneur um, and he always had a side hustle when we were growing up for a long time. So so he had a sign business, one of those old fashioned sign businesses. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's sort of, it's this piece of plastic and a big machine and the mach- the plastic heats up and you line up the letters. Oh, vacuum form. Okay, there it is. Yeah. yeah. And we are, as kids, we had to line up the letters and do the painting of mm-hmm. the letters of the sign and he would he would do the heavy lifting of the of the vacuum whatever it mm-hmm. was and uh um so that was one of them and he, he did snow plowing and he had a maple syrup business and so he was really my role model in terms of being an entrepreneur and then he he made the leap he actually made the leap when he had three kids in college um he took out a thirty five thousand dollar loan and started um a company that supplied the construction industry with brick and block and mm-hmm. cement and things like that made some of that and retired at 55 so um, so he was my inspiration. And so as a kid, we, he, we had a garden and I would sell vegetables down by the street and, um, and lemonade stands and, and things like that. And, um, it was always sort of, I was always sort of watching him and, you know, how he made extra money on the side. And so, so it mostly was, you know, arts and crafts and, and vegetable selling yes. <laughs> when I was a kid. Yes. But, yeah. Yep. And you have two siblings. Are they entrepreneurial as well? That is funny. Neither one of them at all. Uh-huh. No, they both, they really, and they will say, they will tell you, my brother tried, <coughs> he actually tried to do a sign business for a while and, um, it wasn't for him. And my sister adamantly just does not want to be yeah. an entrepreneur. So yeah, I got kind of the, the bug. You got the gene. <laughs> the gene. You yeah. got the gene. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh. Uh, what just, you went to college, you studied in college? I did. Yep. So I went to UVM, um, oh, very nice. and where I actually, uh, studied English literature and, uh, minored in psychology. And my, this is sort of a funny story. My senior year, I had one course left to take. And so I wanted something simple. I looked at wine tasting, but you had to memorize all the vineyards and all the varieties and things like that. And so I put that aside and then I, uh, music theory and that was complicated. So I settled on a three-dimensional design class in art. Right. Mm. And so one of my last assignments in that class, so it was also with all art majors. I I will say that as well. Um, but I liked creating. And so the last, the last class, the last assignment we had been given a two by four and we're told to make a box without using nails. I was so proud of this box. (laughs) So it had four sides. I had a lid that fit. I went up to talk about it and it nicked the edge of the table when I went to put it on the table and the whole thing fell apart. And so I picked up the pieces. I talked about my art and I sat down. I thought I had failed. Failing would mean that I wouldn't, wouldn't graduate. Right. And so the other people in the class got up and they were art majors. And so they made the most elaborate boxes I've ever seen in my whole life. They lit up that they had drawers that pulled out. One of them was shaped like the Eiffel Tower. (laughs) It was amazing. Right. So I thought, oh, there's no way I'm passing this class. A few weeks later, my grades come and I got an A and I couldn't figure out why. So I actually thought he gave the wrong grade to someone. So I went to speak to him and said, yeah, this has to be a mistake. And he said, to be an artist, it takes vulnerability. And you didn't run out of the room crying. You stuck with it and you were vulnerable. And get the heck out of here before I fail you. <laughs> <laughs> before I change my mind. <laughs> exactly. So it changed the trajectory of kind of where I, why, you know, wanted, wanted to go. I actually, um, uh, several years later, studied um, 
at Glass Lake Studio, which is an affiliate of the European Graduate School, to become an expressive arts therapist, where I continued to learn a little bit more about art and mm-hmm. all of that. So that those moments in college sort of influenced my creative career side. Sort of, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, I often think about the various things that happen in people's lives. And and sometimes, I mean, like the one you just described, you mm-hmm. just happened to yeah. nick the corner of right. the table. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And it changed your life. Right. And it was a failure. It was in that moment, it felt like a right. huge failure, right? Which yeah. you, uh, so many entrepreneurs have had failures that have turned into great successes right. from silly things like that. Right. There's so many things in life that, that when you look back on them... Y- it wasn't scripted at all. Right, right, <laughs> right. It just yeah. like, just right. happened to run into these two people and yeah. all of a sudden you have a business. Yep, yep. And the same when people move. When I when I hear people say their lives changed in some some way, yeah. it's always, and, I, and again, we're old enough now, right? I look back and I say, oh, that's, that's why that happened. It makes sense now. I hated it at the time or something. Right. It seemed like a bad thing at the time and it really, it helped keep moving me forward to this place I am now. But I also think the common thread with entrepreneurs is exactly what your professor told you, right? <laughs> it was sort of a bad thing happened, <laughs> right? But you turned it into, yeah, a good thing, right? Right? It's yeah. it's you learn from failure or you learn from your mistakes and you move on. Exactly. You don't dwell on them. You don't retreat. Yes. You keep going forward. Exactly. And yeah. and I think that's a common, a very common trait among entrepreneurs. Yeah. It's and you have to really let let go of that concept. So I'll bring it back to art again. I had a piece of art I was working on, and the art the I work with three-dimensional pieces and so the glue started to drip from her eye and I was like oh it's ruined and then I was like no it looks like she's crying right and and it's powerful and when people look at it there's an emotion that comes from them because they're now looking at this piece that's crying right and so that happens a lot and but it really is stepping back and not immediately wiping that away or to let go of that control a little bit and I I tell entrepreneurs that like there's a you know there may be a reason that um, it's going in that direction. You know, right. with, with expressive art, we actually closed our eyes and worked with our non-dominant hand to create things. And so we got in that feeling in our bodies of what it's like to fail right. and, and have things look bad. And you can always start over, paint over, right? It's not the end of the world. Right. right? You know, it's not, you know, there's no such thing as really perfect, right? That's right. Be excellent. That's right. So after UVM, well, what was the step after that? Yeah, so I went into radio, um, radio first and then video. So I worked in a cornfield in Vermont in a little radio station called WKXE, I think it was called, where I produced a talk show called Breakfast at the Hanover Inn. And we had two guests a day. So that was a lot of guests. And some of them were authors and politicians wow. and, and all of that. And I met a lot of different people, some famous, um, because the radio station I worked for was had sort of been around in a while and nobody cared about interviewing Pedro Almodovar and Robert Redford and, well, Chevy Chase. And mm-hmm. So they'd say, can you go do that? <laughs> so wow. at the time, it was pretty cool before the internet and all that. And, and um, you were the on-air talent or? I was the producer. Producer, So yeah, okay. there yep. was somebody that was the on-air talent and uh, and I would just set it up for her. So Very I got nice. to talk to a lot of people. and You did yeah. all the real hard work. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I did that for about a year um, and... Uh, money in radio was barely livable back then. Again, I don't know what it's like now, but, um, and so I, I switched to video and film and, um, worked on some industrial videos and some local, um, we did some, some interesting ones, Bogner. Um, we did a ski video with Bogner. Mm. And so that was pretty Again, interesting. as a producer? As a producer. Yep. Behind yep, the scenes. Yep. And then Vermont's a small space. So that's what brought me to, to upstate New York is that I, I went to work for a company doing the same thing here and did that for a number of years. Um, the, the hours are 
you know, they're not steady, right? So you work 20, sometimes 24 hours on a shoot, and then there's nothing for weeks, and then yes. it gets busy again. And so that roller coaster get, got old at a certain point. Yeah. But, but it was really fun while I did it. Yeah. And I'm actually, my third company that I just launched has to do with them producing a, a movie. So um, so that's my next uh, my next thing. Yeah, so uh, you were you were in video production as a produce, producer, and then what was your first entrepreneurial endeavor? That is a good question. I mean, I, the children's books were sort of entrepreneurial, right? Sure, so, yeah, so yeah. there's a Start selling a component, <laughs> right? And I, because I self-published, right? Uh-huh. So I would go into schools, and one of the, one of my favorite schools was uh, Philip Schuyler. Um, the the age range was you know kindergartners to maybe third grade, and I had to go in and read, and and then I got to have lunch with. Um, with the children. So I was in a little chair and they had got, they had little questions they were interviewing, you know, they had sheets that they had asked questions on and they were asking me during lunch with my little sandwich. <laughs> and uh, one of them said, you've only written two children's books. <laughs> like I've written five <laughs> or whatever many he had written. Right. And, and he didn't, didn't really understand the publishing process, but, but it was cute. It hum, you know, it humbles you in those moments. Right. So, um, so those were ent- definitely entrepreneurial because I had to do all my own selling of them yes. and, and speaking in the schools and, and all of that. And, and then I just decided I didn't want to always be in the school system doing doing that. So, um, but then it was art and art and soul really was my uh-huh. the, my other business. And, and what was art and soul? Um, where I represented artists and helped them get their work into galleries and private collections, and so set up shows for them mainly, uh-huh. and uh, you know how to write an artist statement and and how you know what not to do, um, and you know what sells and what doesn't sell sort of helping them guiding them in that there were a lot of new artists that you know they were working in their basements and attics and all sorts of places and just wanted to get their their work out commercially so yeah so how does that work I don't I know nothing about that sort of process yeah so it depends on where where you want to go right every artist has a different different plan some some artists uh, actually uh, you know we would we would talk about this I'm not I wasn't the right fit for somebody who wanted to be a starving artist like my whole goal was that artists don't have to starve. There's mm-hmm. lots of ways that artists can can make money. So some of the successful uh, artists that um, you may or may not know, Wendy Costa is one of them. Um, she you know shows at Javits and she's got a line of uh, lots of different things um, and um, socks and you know t-shirts that she's put her images on, right? <laughs> yeah, so turn trivets their art into and products. right, right. So so. She was really interesting. I'll tell you what she did with me. This is really fun. So she knew I was an artist, and she is uh, also an artist. So she called me up one day and said, I want to play a game. You know, I work with eccentric artists, right? And so I said, what's that? And she said, I want you to hide a piece of your art in Troy, New York, on this street. And I'm going to find it. It was sort of like geocaching before yes. geocaching was a thing, right? And so I did. I, I, I hid a piece of art on the street, and she found it, and... Then she said, I've left something there for you. Go find that. And so I would find this cool piece of art, right? And so we did that for two or three weeks. I would hide a piece of art. She would hide a piece of art. And then all of a sudden she said, the game is done. I'm mm-hmm. done. I'm done with you, <laughs> right? Yes. And I said, why? And she said, I was looking for inspiration for my next line. So what in line of you know whatever she was doing, and I had left her a pocketbook made out of a cigar, cigar box. And so now she has a whole line of pocketbooks. Like that was the inspiration for her line of pocketbooks. So, wow. so working with artists was really, really just fun. So she was, and then I have another one who, um, Bonnie Shanus, uh, also has gone on to do fellowships in Poland, and she does. She works with wire mesh art, 
Um, she takes wire mesh from Germany. Um, she's from Israel. And somehow she just it just moves through her hands. And she does the human body um, in wire mesh. Wow. And it is remarkable. And she's just gotten better and better and better over time. So she's she's gone on to great success. But it, it's, it's a job. I think what a lot of our artists don't understand is that the people that are doing it successfully are doing everything. Marina Peacher was another one. She's a painter in Saratoga and she's everywhere. She, you know, you have to treat it like a job. Yes. And so that's sort of what I tried to teach artists. Yes. So, so if I'm, if I'm an artist, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it sounds like uh, by artist, it's a broad spectrum. It, it could be sculpture. Yes. It could be pa- theater, <laughs> paint. Theater, acting, music, writing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. What would be the, what would be your one or two words of advice for me? To move myself from being a starving artist yeah. <laughs> to one who's not starving. Yeah, to, to treat it like a job. Get up every day. Whatever that time for you is, it could be the middle of the night. You could yes. work third shift, right? But to to figure out a time that works for you and get up and make a to-do list and and definitely create. But as you're creating, think about, you know, what what is it? Like, is this art, this huge piece of art... Like a lot of artists want to create in big format, right? That works well if you own a warehouse, but how many of those can you sell and how, how you know? And so maybe start in a smaller format. And So what, and, would, what would be on my to-do list in that example you gave? So if I was an artist, you said, you know, wake up, make, yep. treat it like a job, make a to-do list. So right. what's, what's the first three things on my to-do list? Right. So where, where is my art going to sell? Like, like list galleries, if it's not local, find a market, like do demographic research, right? I, I know a, a writer who's married to a demographer, right? <laughs> and so, so he helped her narrow down this small pocket of writers in Georgia that uses her services, right? Or, or, or you know, yes. so, so I think, you know, figuring out where your buyers are, and and how you're going to market it. Marketing's big in any business, but it but especially in in art. It you know does it make sense? Did you, did you hear about the? Do you know about the banana, and the and the piece of duct tape art? I don't think so. I don't know where what gallery it's at right now. But <clears throat> somebody took a banana and they put a piece of duct tape over it, and it sold for a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, and somebody ate it. So, no, somebody bought it. Oh, I thought somebody <laughs> maybe ate the ate banana. It? Maybe I, they, I don't know. But I thought I read something somebody, just recently. Oh, really? That's yeah. funny. Uh oh. The guy I what bought that it means for the buyer. The guy bought no. The guy bought it and he ate the banana. Okay, okay. So, so you never know. It really is, and and you know, in that moment, it was about mm. marketing. Everybody was taking a selfie with the banana, right? So that is, you know, art is means something to different people. Yes, right. So that that the things on that list, that to do list, are exactly the same things that would be on any any person who's starting a business to do list. Absolutely, yes. Figure out who your customer is. Yes. How are they going to buy it? Yeah. And why are they, why do they want to buy exactly. it? Exactly. And then the pricing. The pricing was always the most difficult piece mm. of it because the time that's invested in the art, a lot of times you never see that again. So do you love what you do? Because you can't really charge your customer. By the if, hour. If, right, right, exactly. Or if you have a learning curve for welding, or right? So if you're already coming in and you're an established woodworker or something like that, then great. But if you're learning that, you can't charge your customer for the time that you learn. So really to figure out the pricing piece of it was always the most challenging part. And it is just like a business, right? It, it's sort of you play around and it's a supply and demand and, and you land somewhere in between you know, what your actual yes. cost or time was and what reality is. And what, uh, how long ago were you doing this? Did you start this? I, I dissolved that business in 2000, just before I started this one. So 2017, so 2006 to 2017. So 2000, 2006 was just sort of the beginning of yes. the internet stuff and social yes. and all that, right? Yes. 
So you must have seen a drastic change in the individual's ability to sort of market themselves. Yes. Social media came about and yeah, yeah we had the web page and, and social media, yeah, became really really what catapulted the business 2008 was rough for everybody nobody was buying art in 2008 or right. not a lot of people and that was kind of you know just as i was taking off so we had to be a little bit creative i did a lot of prints then so things were you know we would do things that were less expensive um but taking prints of people's work so they weren't having to buy the originals and so yes. so we stayed afloat during that time frame yeah and so after that you then started so hammock way life okay. yeah yep and then biz idea shower um and now Tangway production so yeah, yeah. i'd like to launch things so uh, <clears throat> what was sort of the inspiration for hammock way of life was it there was the observations we talked about yeah the earlier? observations of yeah the and yeah and um and just that i had seen by working one-on-one with people how many dreams had come true through the work that I did with people by being specific about what their goals were. I had a real estate person come to me. She she was uh, in her 20s and she had been selling real estate for a couple of years and she wanted to hit $10 million in sales. And she got to like 9.8, you know, so, so seeing those sorts of moments, um, a financial advisor who wanted to hit a certain number and wanted to get married. And, um, and now I'm working with, um, someone who owns a makeup company and she's hitting her goals. And so it's really, it was really just seeing all these other people hit their goals and thinking, I've got some dreams. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to make some dreams come true. Yeah. So, so taking that leap. Yeah. And, and for the, the people you work with in, in the hammock way of life, is there a commonality that you see that people are missing or, or need improvement in? Yeah, that they don't take the time to do it, right? So, so the people that are dreaming are just always going to dream, right? So I'm not just make, slapping these boards together with people. Once it's up there, I'm helping them take action steps that are simple, that they might have thought were out of range. And the example that I like to give is I want to buy a Mini Cooper Countryman, right? And so... They sell those at a dealership around here where they also sell Mercedes and BMWs. And so in my head, I thought, it's out of my range, right? I'm not going to be able to, to buy this Mini Cooper. And someone said, just go test drive it. It doesn't cost anything to test drive it, right? So sat down. The, the salesman negotiated with me, and <laughs> I was able to drive it off the lot at less of a payment than I had for my car that I owned uh-huh. then. So. So it's getting out of your head, but taking those small steps can work in any number of things. So, so not only do I help people create these boards, I then say, what can you do that makes sense for your life that you can take action steps, three, five, however many to get there, but let's, let's break it up a, a little bit and, and figure yeah. that piece out. Yeah. But, one of the, one of the earlier guests we had on this podcast said, uh, one of the most important things is to take that first step. Yeah. Cause when you take the first step. Oftentimes you're forced then to take the second, right. and the third, and <laughs> right. the fourth. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. And then, then what I find is is when people hit up, up against a roadblock, there's a reason for it, right? So don't keep trying to pound your head into the wall, right? Don't keep smashing through it. You could go a- around it, below mm-hmm. it, above it. <laughs> like there's all different kinds of shifts you can make. And, and a lot of times just a small shift can mean a huge difference in how you see something, right? right? So, but I think people get stubborn about, I'm supposed to do it this way. And, um, and it doesn't always have to happen that way. Yeah. Yeah. And 
So the hammock way of life is still ongoing? It is ongoing. Yeah, it's doing really well. So this is the busy time of year. So people are thinking about, you know, goal setting and, and dreaming and yes. visioning and all that. So I'm, I'm booked all of December and part of oh, January wow. and February. So. Now you mentioned something about a board when we were talking about the hammock way of life. You do a board with them? Yeah, a vision board. So, so I do two boards. I do an individual one where they think about their family goals, their life goals, their personal goals. Um, and then when that's done we do one as a group. So sometimes those are ugly, right? Like teams are dysfunctional sometimes. And so you might see, we, I saw on one of the boards, it said blame and they put don't blame, right? So I guess in this particular team, nobody wanted to take responsibility and everybody was blaming everyone else. And so that was a focal point for dialogue for that team, right? So sure. sometimes teams aren't as successful as they need to be. And, the the nice thing about bringing someone like me in is that you you know they're hit, they're secretly giving me these words and I'm building the board out so nobody knows who gave the word blame but it opened up great dialogue and yeah. I'm there to moderate so that there's not a fist fight right, right. Um, but the, there was great dialogue around it and the team got better as a result and started hitting their goals so, yeah. so it's just sort of a way to open open dialogue visually is all it is yeah so, yeah no oh, very nice. And uh, so then you started Business Idea Shower? Biz Idea Shower, yeah. Biz Idea yep, Shower. Yeah, and I quickly made the name. The the uh, people have fished for the name business quite a bit and registry. So um, so I had to come up with a name. And um, so that's a, a registry similar to a wedding registry or baby registry where businesses can go on and register for the things that they need in their business. So instead of showing up at a grand opening or ribbon cutting with flowers and candy and chocolates and balloons, which is normally what people show up with, you can show up with... Oh, what a great idea. Yeah. Can you believe no one's ever thought of it? <laughs> anyway, I really think it's brilliant. I really think it's the next big idea. So it's like, I so, need three chairs. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? And so, because your family members don't know, I think when you start a business... They don't know what you need. They want to right. help. Everybody wants to help, but nobody really knows what you need. And so uh -huh. then they can go on and, yeah, it's podcast equipment. It's um, we, We've had one woman who really gets this website, and she does um, uh, cream cheese-infused strawberries, and she needs molds for some of her things, and she's really expanded. She has a stiletto chocolate heel that she makes now. And, and um, anyway, people are buying her those things. And so she's oh, had a registry purchased a couple different times. So, yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's a really great idea. And it's also being sponsored right now um, until the end of this year by uh, KeyBank Boost and Build has some, some funds for minority and women startups. And so we have 15 registries. It's typically $30, which is a... No brainer, but it, it's free to the end of the year for for anybody that is starting up that wants to uh, wants to come on board with that. So. Right. So when I I'm just thinking about the logistics of this. Yep. I'm, I'm ready to start my I start a business. I'm yep. gonna have my grand opening. I send out letters of invitation to mm -hmm. everyone I want there, or announcements, or whatever. Yep. And in there, I say, yes. Hey, go of, to the instead registry. Instead of buying me flowers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. And go to the, here's the registry yep. and you can check out the things that I need. Yep. They can either send it directly to the entrepreneur or they can bring <laughs> sure. it to the shower or grand opening or whatever yeah. and, and go from there. The other really unique part of it is that we have a business directory. So not only can you buy products, you can also buy services. So attorneys are oh. really understanding this. So, right. So if you, you're an entrepreneur and you need an hour of service from an attorney, sure. We have attorneys in our directory where you can put an attorney fee in your directory and then you can get whatever services you need a contract on or something like that. Same with accountants and printers are also seeing the light in there and graphic designers because people need logos. Um, so 
Yeah. So that's it's all starting to build. That one's only um, been around for a few months. So that's it's starting to get some good leads. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Boy, I could have used that. I know, right? I know. I know. (laughs) Everybody. Yeah, yeah. And so we're also looking for people that love to support entrepreneurs, right? It is mostly friends and family, but some people just are generous and like to fund, you know, other than tech companies. Um, I mean, these tech companies are part of this too, but there's a lot more funding for tech companies than there are for general startups. Right. I mean, it's sort of of like the GoFundMe pitch, right? Which is a little bit uh, different. Because uh, you're sort of buying a product in advance, but in essence, you're enabling yes. the entrepreneur to to yes. build or develop their product. Yep. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty unique. Yep. Wow. You've had a really broad spectrum of uh, things that you have done. I have. Well, because okay, so so this is this is why Bailey. So when I was a kid. I and maybe you did this too. If you live in the Northeast, you're on, we we lived on a hill, right? And my brother and sister and I would, would stand up on our sleds and we would go down the hill on this sled, right? And we'd be like, wouldn't this be great on a mountain? Like this, you know, the hill was never big right, enough, right? right? And so we invented snowboarding, <laughs> but we didn't do anything about it, right. right? And so as I became an adult and I get an idea, I said, I'm never letting that opportunity pass me by again because we didn't invent snowboarding in Burton. I think it just passed away, but you know, did it, did it. And so I don't want opportunities to pass me by. If I see something that's really good, I either want to support it um, as a coach or do it if no one else is willing to do it. So that's why I keep, yeah. keep moving forward. The world needs more people like you. <laughs> yeah, I hope yeah, so. Be a better place. <laughs> right? yeah. So it's risky. That's, well, but, it's, but it's fun, right? <laughs> it is fun. I love it. I love launching things. Yeah. I, I get a little bored once they, when thing, once things are up and running and things are going smoothly, unless it continues to innovate. Right. So if it's going to be a company that continues to innovate and that I'm on board or, yeah. you know, but, I, yeah. I, there's something about launching. No, I understand that very well. I have about a three-year cycle. Do you? Okay. It's pretty, it's plus or minus six months. Okay. It's that precise. It's like, all right, I've been doing this for three years. Uh, time for me to go find something else. Right, right. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, shiny and I, and I never worry about what the next thing's going to be. Yep. Something will come along. Right, that right. That intrigues me and I'm excited about. Yeah, keeps it fresh and, so, yeah. you know, and new people on board and things like that. So, um, so my, my, Final project is not final, but next is um, writing a play. So I'm also related to the highest paid vaudeville singer um, in her day. Her name was Eva Tangway, and she preceded um, Mae West. So Mae West sort of modeled herself after wow. uh, Eva, and nobody knows her story is unknown. She um, really couldn't dance and really couldn't sing, but she came out on the night that the mill workers got paid and showed a little bit of her kneecap in outrageous <laughs> costumes. <laughs> And they threw her paychecks. They threw their paychecks at her, and she haunts the Cohoes Music Hall. So I, we just visited last weekend the the director of this um, movie and I. Um, and there's a tribute place in in the hall where if if they don't give something to Eva before the play, the whole the whole thing falls apart. So so there's the, so people have brought flowers and cigarettes and soaps, wow. and there's this whole shrine. <laughs> To Eva, and they say she haunts it. And so, what's so, the connection to the Cohoes musical? So musical? she played here. She, she played, played. She oh, played okay. there when um, when she was here. Or, or she played. If you talk to different historians, she played a, a larger venue that no longer exists. So this is the one existing hall that's left, and people have heard and seen things in there. You, it's funny <laughs> yes. to hear all the ghost stories that have that people are telling telling us. So um, so her story is really interesting. So we I started a company called Tangway Productions, and we're we're in uh, we're going to do auditions in January for so you could make a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's the next. So it's sort of come full circle, right? Because I started out in film and video, and I'm 
This is where I'm headed wow. next. And you're going to so. be the producer, yeah. the director, yeah. the writer? Producer. Um, I'm... Like I'm writing some monologues right now, but I'm realizing I really am not. I really we need to collaborate with a a true writer. Um, And um, yeah, so I'm co-producing and directing with uh, Chris Howard from she's she actually has her own company, Howard Inventions. Uh She's another one who likes to start new things. (laughs) So um, so it's been it's been great. It's been a fun ride. And and sort of what's your vision for this? Is it a a half hour hour? No, it's a a feature film. Yeah. So um, we our dream uh, to get it out there for this podcast goes far and wide is to get um, Lady Gaga on board. So they say that Eva Tangway was like the Madonna and Lady Gaga of her day. And um, and actually Celine Dion's mother's name is Tangway. So that's another option. Mm. Um, So someone who can actually write original music to go along with really interesting and cutting edge songs that Eva wrote, which Mm -hmm. were songs like, I don't care. Like she didn't care that she had wild hair and she was a little risque and things like that. And so, um, but really fun, fun, unique songs that, yeah. So is the, is the story kind of coming from your memory and what you've heard about her or are there books that have an auto? There's a book called Queen of Vaudeville um, that we're sort of using as, as the base. base. And yep. And then there are some videos, there's some historians in Cahos that, um, that had seen her and or relatives that had seen her and they are passionate about it. And the only reason I know that is that when I came out to, to do book signings for my children's book, I had one line that was out the door in Cahos and I was like, wow, I am really popular. And then it turned out they thought I was a relative of Eva Tangway. And so they came out to just to see if I was a relative of her. And I hadn't even heard of her at that point, but we wow. look, we look a lot alike. And so they were fascinated because they'd seen a picture of me in the paper and, and it, I do look a little bit like her. So, um, so it was interesting, but I, I, I think her story is really fascinating. She had these, these wild romances and mm. just threw money away. She, um, she actually died penniless because she just didn't, um, invest any of it or the stuff she did event, yeah. invest that crashed in the stock market and, and, uh, but would have like thousand dollar bills. She, she said she preferred thousand dollar, a thousand dollars in her pocket and, um, but just squandered it away. And she actually died mentally ill in, in one room. <coughs> Um, what, with wallpaper of all of the shows that she'd ever done. I mean, just sort of. Mm. She was very different in in the end. When when uh, film came along, she was really all about live vaudeville and didn't transition yes. at all to that other phase. So yes, yeah, so fascinating. You know, I'm I'm always amazed by sort of the artistic creative process. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm an engineer. Yeah. Right. So that's creative. That's yeah. Creative, yeah. But it's sort of in a different way. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I'm always amazed how, you know, like I think about it, I'm doing a movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's a blank sheet of paper in front of me <laughs> and it's going to end up in an hour and 35 minute movie right. where every detail from wardrobe to the yeah. types yes. of flowers you have on yes. the table to the color of the walls. Yeah. All of that stuff needs to be figured out. It's yes. just remarkable to me. Yeah. So, and, and this is why I think it's interesting. Engineers are interesting because you also see the big picture of something that has to get done. There's a lot of moving parts. And I think entrepreneurs are the same way. I have one of those brains and I'm told, you know, by different people that I've worked for that it's unique to find someone with a creative hat and a business hat, right? To both of right. those that can kind of see the, see the big picture. So what I'm really good at is coordinating pieces and parts. That's what a producer does, right? You coordinate the location scouting and the costumes and the writing and all that. And so, so to see the big picture of everything coming together. And if you can get the right team, where it falls apart is if you get mm. teams that clash, right? Or don't see, the, don't see the vision. So it's my job to share the vision sure. of where we want to go. And so if I can do that, 
then the team usually comes together yeah. and on board pretty well. Yeah, and and you know the 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 difference between something that's great and something that's mediocre is the difference between you know ninety percent and ninety five percent. Yeah, absolutely. It's, right. it's not yeah. a lot different. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But we've all seen movies or TV shows or whatever theater productions that are just like. They just quite didn't get it. Yeah, yeah. They got oh, close, right. but they didn't get it. And then you see other ones that are like, you're just blown away. You're mesmerized yes. for the whole thing. Yes, And yeah. it's not just about the talent. Yeah. It's about all of the things that right. make this imaginary ride that you're on yeah. uh, real. Yeah, and, and I think that one of the important parts for me is to surround myself with people that are good with details. Because one of the things that drives me crazy when I watch movies, or I was watching some television show the other day, that you know when the glass is half full, then it's it's half it's full, then it's empty, then oh, it's full again, one, right? Yeah. Two, right. And I saw something where somebody's belt was on and off and on and off, <laughs> like those little details in, in anything, right? Not just film and video, but anything you do are important. So to s- surround myself with, if I'm having this vision of someone that can say, Janet, you forgot this word here, or you know, what did you mean by that? Direct me in a way that that you know. That keeps me focused. Yeah, it's so funny you mentioned that about the glass. Yeah. I notice. I notice you, those things yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah. And my wife doesn't. I go like, oh, did you see that? On, on, the, on, the, on the shot looking this way, the glass was full. And now on the shot looking this way, you know, yeah, the sandwich crazy. was half eaten. And on this one, it was gone all the way. It's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. It's most like, people don't notice I it, notice right? that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Did right. you ever see the thing where, and, and I don't remember, it's just some psychology test where a guy in a monkey suit walks through this people playing basketball did you ever see that one so basically there's a bunch of people and they're told bounce the ball 10 times or or something so they're focused on the bouncing of the ball 10 times and in between this this guy in a monkey suit comes or gorilla suit or whatever walks through and nobody notices him right but they filmed it and they're like what there was a guy right Right? and so it's that focus right i think it's what you focus on if someone's not focused on what's happening then they're going to miss the big thing that happens in the middle of the scene yeah so yeah great so so janet uh, i want to wrap this up we've been we've been here 40 plus minutes so if you reflect back Mm -hmm. on all of the things you've accomplished and it's this broad spectrum of things what would be the one or two words of advice that you let me scratch that (laughs) okay what would be the one or two things that were surprises to you or that, that yeah. you didn't expect. Yeah. That were like- I have one that really stands out to me. Um, so I'm sort of known as a connector. Someone comes to me and if they ask me if I know someone, if I don't know them, I try to find someone who does. Right. And I still get credit for it. Even if I'm not the one who knew initially, sure. if I tried. Right. So when I launched all of these businesses, what happened as a result of that was that I was completely supported and, I didn't anticipate it. You know, as an entrepreneur, you just think, oh, I'm going to leap and there may or may not be a net. And I don't know how this is going to happen, but I was completely supported. People, some people gave me money to support it. Other people just showed up, Um, you know, people that I had helped. And that was so powerful for me. That was really meaningful. So I would say that's probably the biggest thing. The other thing I wanted to mention to you that we talked about before we started this interview um, was that no one told me about entrepreneurship, that I'm... I'm taking active steps to overcome is as a solo entrepreneur, it's isolating unless you're finding groups. It's why so many incubators are starting and things like that. No one ever told me that I was the person that people came to. I think when they were feeling the loneliness and feeling all that. And so I spent three days in my apartment one day on my computer 
and said, I haven't seen people <laughs> in a very long time, <laughs> right? And so and now I started a group called um, EMU, which is Center for Entrepreneur Meetup. And we meet twice a month with different topics and it's social. And I make sure that I'm on panels and I give speeches and all of that. That happened organically when I had a job. Yes, yes. And you really have to actively pursue that as yes. an entrepreneur. So, Well, what you just said is very much connected to the thing you said previously. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Right? Yep. And, and it's those connections and meaningful relationships mm -hmm. that you develop with people, not yes. just the LinkedIn connection that right. you accept and they accept and, <laughs> and you, you don't hardly know anything, know them, right? right? Yeah, but yeah. the meaningful relationships yeah. Yeah. that, that um, almost always end up in something good happening. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's happening. And, right. and so just sort of organically, you know, and, and when, you know, and I'm always surprised when someone says, you know, Janet helped me start this business and I've been in it five years and they remember where they came from or where they right. started. Right. And so, so, and I certainly remember the people that have supported me in, in these businesses. It was really, really meaningful to me to, to have that much support. So, so I'm going to continue to pay it forward and, and who knows what we'll launch next. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. You're Janet. welcome. You're yeah. a wonderful guest. Thank, thank you. Thanks thank for the you. opportunity. Yeah. Bela. This was great. Uh, Janet has an incredibly interesting story. I mean, what a career. Um, let's start with the introduction strategy she uses at social events. As you mentioned, that's a new one for us, right? Um, the idea of tailoring your introduction of yourself to other people's interests is a really powerful idea. And I like how she drew from kind of sales uh, on that. H how do you introduce yourself? You know, this was one of those things where when she said it, I was like, duh, this is so obvious. Why didn't I think about it? Now, I'll tell you one thing. I certainly, uh, back in the days when, when I was actively sending out resumes and looking for jobs, I would tailor my resume and my cover letter based on the, on the particular position I was applying for. But I never thought of doing that in sort of social or, or semi-social, semi-business type of networking events. I always sort of, quite honestly, hit the hit the play button on the tape recorder, and I sort of have this, you know, three sentence normal thing that I do. And uh, gosh, now that now that I think about it, um, it she really had some great points there, and and I have taken that to heart, and I will now change what I say uh, based upon the context of where I'm at and trying to understand the person that I'm speaking with. Yeah, I think that's great advice. So Janet's a, a person who's, you know, really, I would say firmly in the coaching business. It it, uh, it comes through in a lot of different ways, and, and she does it in, uh, with a variety of tools uh, and in some different contexts. But, you know, we really see this kind of idea of coaching as a growing trend. Um, what are the benefits that you see of, of coaching? And, and have you had a coach ever? I mean, this is kind of new. Mm. Yeah, I think it is kind of new. Uh, yeah, the, we've had several now guests on the podcast that have, have uh, talked about coaching, the value of coaching that either they've received or that they have given or they're sort of in that business. Uh, I've never had a coach. Uh, I've had mentors. I've had people mm -hmm. who have sort of taken me under their wing and given me advice and people that I could go talk to about challenges I was having or whatever. So I don't know if that's a coach or not. I think coaching tends to be a little bit more proactive. Uh, I have known some people, I've known some CEOs who have hired coaches and um, they have, they have done very well uh, or they have, they have talked about them with, with great 
uh, uh, enthusiasm to say that they brought a lot of value. And they would have regularly scheduled meetings with a coach. Uh, oftentimes, the coach would uh, have topics uh, to address and talk about. Uh, and sometimes the, the, the person being coached would, would do the topics. So I think it's valuable. Uh, and, you know, we've had podcast guests who've, who've you know, where you think, think about coaching from the perspective of, you know, athletes all have coaches. Um, and, you know, so why wouldn't, why wouldn't people in other professions have coaches? You know, even great golfers have have swing coaches, and you think mm-hmm. to yourself, "Oh my God, you're kidding me! This guy's been playing golf for professionally for 25 years, and he he has a person that's helping him with his swing." It's to me, it's like really. So yeah, there's there's got to be something there, and it's interesting how in the sports world, it's very well accepted, but sort of in the business world, it's it's a little bit newer and and less utilized. But I think there's a lot of value there. Yeah. I think the difference in my mind between coaching and mentoring is mentoring is something that's voluntary and there's no money exchanged, right? Or anything like that. It's not an mm-hmm. economic relationship. It's purely, um, okay, this is something I'll do in my spare time. It's not my primary responsibility. So I'll give you some time as a mentor. You're the mentee as I need it. But a coach is an established relationship and it means, hey, we're going to meet every week or every month or twice a week for this amount of time. There's going to be, a, I think, typically a financial exchange there, right? Where I'm going to perform these services and you're going to pay me this money. And I think that that's actually a really good thing in a lot of ways because mentoring is so hit or miss. And the research is pretty clear on this, right? That mentoring can be fantastic or it can fail. And I think when you throw this a label of coaching at it, and it's like, okay, here's somebody who's going to really push me, and I'm going to pay them to push me, like at the gym or in a sport, right? Right. Um, and I think you, it, this can really work well for people, um, especially if they work in an environment. If they, for instance, work... Um, distance right they don't work in a in a traditional workplace or if they're at the executive level and they don't have people above them so much right they can give them this time right that they need to get this mentoring so i think in a lot of ways coaching i think there's more to it but coaching is something that is this idea of mentoring taken to a more formal structured uh, level um that i think really as we've heard time and time again um, can have some really powerful benefits. And I think when you pair this with this idea of this peer coaching, right, which we've heard about a couple of times, it's like, oh, yeah, I have this group of other CEOs or other execs that I talk with um, uh, on a regular basis about business, that those these are two new models, I think, that are really powerful. And in addition to the third leg of the stool, mentoring, right, and how to get guidance from others to make yourself better. Yeah, you know, and, I, and as you were saying that, Mike, it got me thinking about, you know, my days in, in large corporations like IBM and General Electric, where they didn't call it coaching, but they basically had various different training programs. <coughs> they had various different training programs uh, for management leadership and stuff. So as you, as you progress through your career, there were things that you could do to, in essence, get coached on, on how, to, how to do your new responsibilities. And in today's entrepreneurial world, that really doesn't exist, right? You have to go out and figure that out for yourself. So I think getting a coach is a great way of doing that. Yeah, that's another piece. The coach as an individual trainer, right? They take the concepts, the skills, the knowledge that you need to succeed at the next stage of your career or the next job that you have. And they deliver that in an individualized way that in a training class or online, you're typically not going to get. Yep. Yep. 
Hey, Mike, you know, one of the other things that, that really jumped out at me is how Janet took uh, one of her failures in this art class, and, and she really spun that around and turned it into a motivational event and a positive event. Um, and I think that's, that's really something uh, that is real, a real strong message, is, is how to take something that you're unsuccessful at and learn from it and then figure out what you can do about it. Uh, and, and, and do it in a positive way. Uh, what were your thoughts on that one, Mike? Bela, this is, I think, the most powerful message that I've taken from these whatever 50-odd interviews that you've done so far and that we've talked about together, is that the common thread through almost all of these is something crappy happened to somebody, and they use it as an opportunity to either take control of their life or feel better about themselves or to kind of chase their dream, to use kind of the language that Janet was using using in, in, in what she was talking with you about. Um, but it's to, it's to take failure as an impetus for positive change. And I think if, you know, of just a few listeners, the next time something bad happens to them, because it will, right? We all know you can't get through life without bad things happen to you, unfortunately. I wish that was not true, and maybe there's somebody out there that's never had anything bad happen to them, but I think we all happen to the, have bad things that happen to us, and if you can use that as an opportunity to take stock and to say, hey, maybe now's the time to try something different or to take some risk, I think that's awesome. So I, I think it's a great story, and I think it's not uncommon. It's the, it's the common thread and how people make these unconventional decisions that we've looked at for for. Uh, over a year now, right, is, hey, there's a negative and we turn it into a positive. We do something unconventional. That's what I think. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, it goes back to uh, this, this is the hand you've been dealt, so now figure out what to do with it. And, and the, the important part of that is not the hand you've been dealt, but figuring out what you're going to do with it. And uh, I think Janet was a great example of that. Yeah. Her breadth was really interesting, you know, and we've seen a little bit of this, but not always, is all these different types of business and this really this idea of the serial entrepreneur. And in her case, and there was a common thread through a lot of this stuff, but some very different types of businesses, some very different business models, some very different industries, very different customers. Um, you know, and she is, she's a serial entrepreneur, right? She starts them. She doesn't like running them for more than a couple of years. You two talked about three years um, how should people like this who have this kind of itch like you have had um, and, and what Janet's done, how should they build their careers? How should they build their resumes? What should they be focusing on, especially people who might be younger uh, listening to this right now? Well, I, I think, you know, for me, that change is the motivation. That's the drive that keeps me going. And this sort of curious mind of trying to learn something new and figure out something new and experience something new. And once you recognize that, then I turned that into a positive. Right? I said, okay, I realize that this is how my brain works. This is what I need. Now, what are the types of things that I can do that enable me to use that as a strength and to build upon that um, and say, okay, I'm going to start things. And just like Janet did, she, she, she starts things, she gets them going uh, she gets satisfaction from that, and then she tries to sell them or try to transition them to someone else, and then she moves on to something new. And, and, that's, and that's one model, and I think in today's world, that's much easier to do than it was 40 years ago. Uh, it's much more accepted. It's much, sort, much more the norm than it ever was, 
and their opportunities are endless given sort of the digitization of the world and how flat the world has really gotten. So I think the, 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 the environment is perfect for people like this. Uh, but importantly, in each one of these, it's not just moving from idea to idea to idea. If you think about it, and if you listen carefully, Janet accomplished stuff with those ideas. She did things about them. She produced a product. She produced uh, goods and services. Uh, she generated revenue. So she did all the things that make it sustainable, uh, and then she moved on. So I think I think it's a, a the world's a great place to do these things right now, uh, and there's lots of opportunity. Yeah, she she talked about making the leap from side hustles that she did and that mm. she saw her dad doing growing up to becoming a full-time yeah. entrepreneur. Is this a pattern that you've seen where people have these side hustles and then something happens where they kind of make the leap and go full-time? Yeah, there, I, there's several folks that we've talked to in the pa past uh, where their business came from a side hus hustle or uh, they currently have several side hustles going on that they hope will blossom into uh, something new. And, and, that, and that's sort of their... Um, that's sort of their laboratory, right? They, they, mm -hmm. they sort of have their steady business, their steady gig that pays the bills and, and gives them a sustainable life. And then their laboratory is this side hustle where they get to sort of try things out. And if one takes off, they, they jump on it. And, and I think there's been lots of uh, folks uh, that we've interviewed in the past who uh, either currently do that. Uh, they use it as, uh, like I said, their, their laboratory and, and to experiment uh, for things that either... Uh, get brought into their existing business or things that then blossom out into new businesses. So um, I, I think it's a great way of doing stuff. Um, the, the real hard part, of course, is then deciding, okay, at what point do I make the leap? And some people never make that leap uh, and other people uh, take the leap. And, and that's a personal choice. There's no right or wrong answer there. But that to me has always been the challenging part is if you have a side hustle, at what point in time do I say, okay, I'm going to turn this into something real now? And um, I've never come up with a good answer for for that. But having the conversation is is all of it, right? It's okay. Am I going to start this side business? Sure, let's do it. And then you can have that conversation if and when you decide to to make the leap. But I, I mean, think about you and I, right? This podcast is a side hustle, right? I mean, we're not making money right. doing this, right? And that's not the goal, but this is a side hustle. And if for some weird reason this takes off and then, okay, it becomes a book and a full-length movie, the Bela Music story, right? <laughs> um, you know, at some point you can switch from, from doing what you're doing normally uh, to, to doing this. So I love the idea of these ideas of these little experiments with your career and with your life and um you know it takes time away from whatever it is that you do for fun um but but it's a neat way to explore different sides of your brain and different interests that you might have and to meet people that you might not normally meet and to push yourself a little bit like as i think listeners know i don't like this idea of talking into a microphone and hearing my voice but it's pushed me a little bit and uh and that's a good thing right it's a good thing exactly i, I think the side hustle is just uh, it's a great playground great laboratory a great place to experiment and try new things out and uh push yourself like you said mike i think that was a great way of summing that up cool speaking of summing up what do you think should we wrap this up for this week i think so i think we're good
Cool. Well, that was a great interview, and we're really happy that all of you listeners out there joined us in our little podcasting adventure for this week. Uh, We hope you found the last hour or so interesting and thought-provoking and that Janet provided you for some food for thought about... um, Looking at the world maybe a little differently and and uh, and taking some risk and uh, eventually uh, doing a, making a big change uh, in, in your life. I think that would be an interesting way to approach it, and she clearly has done that. Um, so uh, we have a few small requests as we wrap this up. The first is uh, if you have any questions for us or suggestions about future topics uh, or potential guests that we might want to talk with, uh, please uh, send us an email. We're interested to hear from you. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. And secondly, if you like what we're doing, uh, please hit like or subscribe on your podcast app. Uh, And if you really want to be radical and help us out, it'd be great if you could write a short review. Uh, And of course, if you know others that might find us interesting, please share us with them. Hey, so that's it for this week. Thank you for spending time with us. We look forward to you uh, joining us for our next episode. Signing off from upstate New York. See you next week, Mike. That's great, Bela. Thanks for from over here in Münster, Germany. We hope you and everyone else has a great week. <laughs>